Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, today was the Mayor's Town Hall with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, where we took the time to look at the new municipal budget and what's happening with your taxes. Also, the Bay Area Climate Change Council selected its first chair. He is Richard Corusil, and we took the time to talk with him on the program. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you doing today? Good morning. Doing great. Uh, another, another long night last night? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, was uh, you know, we've had lots of issues on the table. Uh, you know, it's uh, that time of year where you, we got the budget on, uh, we had city manager, uh, you know, ratification, and uh, a number of, uh, of in-camera issues, some of the contractual issues that we've been dealing with in terms of some of the developments that are happening out there. So, uh, you know what, things are moving along. Uh, the new city manager actually uh, showed up at the meeting last night. She did, yeah. Jeanette Smith, uh, out of, uh, you know, formerly from Hamilton, so a Hamilton girl, grew up in uh, Mount Hope, and then, uh, you know, had most of her career in Peel. Uh, you know, was the uh, commissioner of uh, last position, now is commissioner of public works, and, uh, you know, very talented, very engaging uh, a uh, lady that uh, I think she's very excited to be here, and I think uh, we're excited to have her. So, uh, and and, a, and a, a rabid Tiger Cat fan, as you, you know, most Hamiltonians are. So uh, she uh, she's going to be a terrific uh, addition, I think, to our uh, to our organization. Well, sure. just uh, from what I saw from her post anyway on social media, especially on Twitter in the last couple of uh, days, she's uh, pretty excited about getting back here. Yeah, very excited. Uh, you know, I had lots of family here, of course, and uh, grew up here, grew up in Mount Hope area and went to Salt Fleet High School, uh, you know, in Stony Creek. Uh, lots and lots of strong connections here. And then, you know, and as happens to some people, your career moves into different uh, paths, but uh, she's... Uh, Going to be moving back here, uh, currently lives in Georgetown, but is going to be moving back here and is thrilled to be back, uh, you know, closer to her family and not having to commute and, uh, you know, all the good things that uh, that come with being in the city of Hamilton, notwithstanding, you know, the great people that are already here, the great management team, and uh, I think she's stepping into a, you know, a pretty positive environment with lots of, uh, you know, positive developments in the in the queue. And, uh, you know, she'll have her, uh, she'll have her hands full, uh, making sure that we keep all of our strategic direction processes uh, moving forward collaboratively. Well, and it's, you know, being city manager in Hamilton's easy peasy because there's nothing <laughs> nothing controversial going on around here, is there? Eh, you know, no, you know what? I mean, uh, Chris Murray did a great job for us. Mike Segarek uh, did an outstanding job as uh, acting interim manager for the last one, nine months or so. He's uh, fantastic and he's going to be stinking around uh, to do uh, continue to do the finance and we've got a solid strong management team. So I don't I don't think there's much to worry about, uh, but obviously things happen. Uh, you know, every day there's a new challenge and uh, there's there's personnel issues and there's contractual issues and all of them needs need good strong leadership and uh, you know everything that I know about and have seen uh, from Jeanette Smith I know she's going to provide that good solid leadership so I'm uh, I'm thrilled I'm thrilled all right I know you know what and, and not and not to overstate this but the first female city manager in the history of the city of Hamilton is uh, is quite a milestone as well that's not why we picked her but uh, it is certainly a nice addition to the the, the entire picture well we look forward to having her here in studio once yep. she uh, she wants to talk for what another month and a, uh, yeah May five, five uh, May the fifth five the weeks sixth, I guess yeah. it is yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking uh, under the hashtag, uh, things can happen here, uh, you have a meeting today with the Transportation Minister, mm-hmm. a much-anticipated uh, meeting with uh, Minister Yurik uh, later on today. What are you going to talk about? <laughs> nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. I don't know, the weather, uh, you know, how are the kids, the family. Uh, you know, look, as you know, this has been uh, this has been our LRT effort for quite some time. Uh, you know, the Premier, just before Christmas, said, uh, looking forward to meeting with the Mayor uh, before Christmas. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Well, he for, didn't say what year. Well, that's true. He didn't say what year, but he did say that uh, that Hamilton had a democratic process, and the, uh, the the mayor that got elected was an LRT supporter, so Hamilton gets an LRT. So uh, I'm uh, I'm hoping that they're going to follow through on this. Uh, you know, the signals that we're getting are positive. Uh, no one's no one's at, to this date uh, at, at this point has said no. Don't uh, keep doing the uh, the assessment work. Uh, stop doing all the work out there that needs to happen to continue to move this project along. But we need some uh, some firm and distinctive signals that uh, indicates that the province is on board and we're we're moving forward together. And one of them is uh, to to remove that land freeze, the land acquisition freeze that really was put in th- for the entire province, but uh, but impacted the uh, the LRT uh, moving forward. Much half of the land has already been purchased to do this, and you can see them uh, along King Street uh, boarded up. Uh, the other half is yet to be done, and uh, lifting that land freeze will be a, a strong signal that we're going to keep moving. And um, 
we need an extension on the RFP. So the, the bidders have been uh, waiting to get that strong signal as well in terms of this project continuing to move forward. So uh, both of those things will be, uh, you know, I think positive signals that we're moving forward. So that's what we're going to be asking for. We'll also put on the table, well, quite frankly, uh, uh, 403 expansion that's uh, been on the docket now for, you know, decades. There's a you know an, an urgent need to deal with that issue, that congestion issue, as well as the uh, Clapson's uh, corner uh, upgrade, the, uh, the the grade separation that's also been on the on the books or at least in the planning stages for years, always been just around the corner. So we're hoping that we can inspire quicker action on those uh, two uh, two transportation projects. So we'll give them a brief on uh, other transportation issues that are happening in Hamilton as well. Uh, let's talk about all-day go service. Yeah. I uh, got some not-so-good news uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess now. I'm sure that'll be uh, on the, the itemized agenda that, right. when you talk about this. Yep. Uh, w- we can't wait another 25 years for this stuff. I mean, this this is ridiculous the way it keeps getting pushed back. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we not only inspire Metrolinx to move quicker, but also CN. Uh, you know, that they, they're, they're the, the bottleneck in, in, in all of this. Uh, they're, the, they're the ones that have to, uh, you know, negotiate and be willing to provide access to, to the line that, uh, so that we can provide all-day all service not only to Hamilton, but going further out to, towards Niagara. So, uh, you know what, uh, Metrolinx, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't appreciate the timelines, and I think I said so, uh, you know, just a little while ago. I mean, this, uh, this, these announcements, uh, you know, going back to, you know, the, the mid-2006s, when I first got elected as mayor, you know, the, the, the premier of the day, Dalton McGinty, said, all-day go service, you know, four years, and we're going to have all-day go service in Hamilton. Uh, they did commit, and we asked for. I a, remember a conversation with the, that premier, yep. Mr. McGinney, who said it was going to be in, in place in time for the Pan Am Games. Right, exactly. H- how'd that work out? Didn't work out at all. And uh, but but we did get the station built. So ironically, we've got uh, a station built there that uh, is supposed to accommodate all day go service. Uh, we had another station being built on Centennial Parkway that's in process right now. Another one that uh, ultimately would be a candidate for all day go services, and neither one of them have uh, anything close to that. So we still have, uh, you know, four trains coming from Hunter Street. We have a couple of trains going through from Elders, uh, from uh, the Waterfront uh, waterfront Go Station, and that's it. And that's certainly not uh, the kind of access that we're going to need going forward and certainly doesn't fulfill the promises that have been made, uh, you know, for at least 15 years. A uh, couple of other things I, I'm sure you want to talk to the minister about, but I want to get your read on it and certainly would look forward to his comments on this as well. Uh, one is, uh, if I can go back to the LRT for just a couple mm-hmm. of seconds, there was an announcement last week that uh, the Mississauga LRT has been uh, modified, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand that there were some conversations about this. I don't think this came out of the blue for uh, from Eric Crombie up there because they actually are changing the configuration just a little bit. There are going to be fewer stops. Now, you had hinted that we may have to do some some massaging on the Hamilton LRT. Is that is that something you're going to talk to the minister about today? Well, not today. I think uh, you, you know we're not going to know any of that until we get the RFPs done. So uh, you know, this has been the the, the whole point is uh, let's let's all find out what the costing is going to be, and then we'll know what we need to do. Uh, I've already approached the federal government in the agreement, the memorandum of understanding between the city and the province. It, it, it clearly identifies a a provincial request to allow them to go to the federal government to ask them for additional money should there be a need for additional money. So that's already in the queue. Uh, I've already approached the federal government, and they're uh, they're uh, you know all ears in terms of. Uh, being being uh, willing partners to participate in that. We also have private sector uh, uh, interest in terms of their making contributions to this. Uh, some of the big uh, pension funds and others are very, very keen because it's employment and jobs and certainly an investment opportunity for them. So there's various things they can do, including uh, changing the scope. And so that's always been the case. You know, someone a little while ago said, uh, you know, that someone's refused to answer that question. The answer has always been the same. Let's find out what the number is, and once we know the number, then we know what we need to do in terms of scope or addition of dollars or whatever that might be. Are you concerned about the delays? And I understand that there's still work going on, but, I mean, we don't see that work. That's that's all behind the curtain. Uh, you know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the, the real estate freeze obviously is a big part of this, and, and that's, as we were told anyway, apparently had some people that were interested in investing, not to say no, but to just kind of back off a little bit. That can't be good news. No, it's, uh, it's, I mean, we, we, you know, these big projects are complicated. They're difficult. Uh, you, you know that we've had multiple elections on this, and it's still moving forward. 
Uh, I have uh, always said it's going to be a roller coaster until the shovels are in the ground, and uh, we're not we're not close to that yet. So that's probably a year or more away now, depending on where we are with the RFP process. So uh, you know we have to be patient. These are big transformative projects. Uh, you know lo- you know short term pain, long term gain kind of comes to mind in terms of uh, you know the kinds of things that we need to do to get it in place. I will I will I will assure you that once it's done. Everyone will say, why didn't we do this sooner? It's kind of like the big dig in, uh, in uh, you know, Boston, and you remember all the pain and travail that yep. they went through to get that done. But uh, now you look at Boston today, it's a model of, uh, you know, positive development and green space. All the, all the benefits that they were talking about as, as to why they were doing it have all been realized, and everyone's now loving it. So we need to get through that process. Uh, I know it's difficult. I know it frustrates some people. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm determined that this is a city-building project that we need to do, and there's broad support for this. I've got a poster in my office now that's as big as one of these walls here with all the corporate logos of all the businesses in the city that are supporting this for all the right reasons. It's a, it's a city-building project that's going to create enormous amount of benefit, uh, enormous amount of uh, higher density housing improvements and developments, as well as generate a significant amount of tax dollars to the benefit of, uh, of the city of Hamilton's bottom line. One other aspect uh, vis-a-vis transportation, and uh, a story that uh, we just heard about a couple of days ago. I'm not so sure if it's been uh, discussed in the uh, hallowed halls at City Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the province and now a federal government study, uh, once again talking about uh, the possibility of a mid-pen highway. Well, they call it a trade corridor, but I mean, in fact, uh, we're looking at some sort of a roadway that's going to be up there. Uh, you have been supportive of this in the past. It got shelved by the provincial government, the, the previous government, that is. Uh, would you like to see them breathe new life into this? Well, I mean, it's uh, certainly up to the province. It's uh, it's a complicated, difficult, uh, you know, adventure. Uh, you know, expensive. I would say. Uh, one of the things that uh, that the previous government was pushing for, and, and certainly I didn't disagree with this, is how do we maximize our rail and, and shipping capacity? If it's about movement of goods, how do we how do we make sure that we maximize all of that capacity that's out there? Before we uh, jump into uh, to another road, and you know what, uh, down the road, I, I have no doubt that it's going to be needed. Uh, the question is, uh, you know, what, what's the timing on it, and what can we inspire now that uh, that might uh, forestall that? Because the investment is going to be huge. Uh, it is going to interfere with a fair bit of farmland and agricultural lands, and so uh, it's not just a simple matter of landing a road. It's a it's a complex long term affair. But I I have no doubt that this government is interested in uh, pursuing that, and uh, I, I don't think Hamilton's going to be a barrier to that at all. I mean, given given our our situation, our, our physical location here, of course, at the head of the lake, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that we already have multimodal transportation when it comes to goods movement here, but I mean, we are suffering with the the road aspect of this. And, and as those who are in the business will tell you, and you've talked about this in the past, uh, just about anything that gets shipped here usually goes through at least two or three of those modes of transportation. It's not mm-hmm. just uh, you know short sea shipping. It's not just rail. Oftentimes, trucks are involved. Absolutely. And the, the, the gridlock on the Queen Elizabeth Road right now, uh, well, they say time is money, and that's costing a lot of people a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's an issue that uh, if as as congestion continues, uh, movement of goods is, uh, is is equally as important as uh, as you know movement of people uh, throughout the corridors here and throughout our communities. Uh, but but uh, you know we could probably if we can go go get, go transit enhanced and get that more volume up, we could offload some of that uh, that capacity off the QEW and onto the uh, the go train. So if we can. Think about that investment before we kind of start thinking about the road investment. That may be that may be at least a shorter term answer to you know freeing up some capacity on roadways that we already have. I mean, you don't want to overbuild uh, if you don't have to, and so uh, maximizing the utility of what you already have in place is probably a good first step. And then uh, you know once you've done that, see where you're at to go to uh, to a next step. So I'm, I'm I think that's a logical kind of way forward. And uh, you know maximizing the go capacity would certainly offload a lot of traffic off the QEW. Well, the the stumbling block in the past, of course, as you know, was the second phase of that, which was supposed to be from John C. Monroe Airport through Halton to the 400 series highways. And, right. and Halton had some very legitimate concerns about that, mm-hmm. which is what stalled the whole project. But uh, you know, when I talked to the ministers about this, because there have been a few transportation ministers during the time this thing was on the table, mm-hmm. uh, the Fort Erie to, to John C. Monroe seemed to be, it's not a no-brainer, because as you say, there are environmental things that need to be dealt with, etc., but it seems as if at least do that part. Yeah, it's simpler, actually. I think it's not nearly as complex as uh, through the Halton area. There's some, some real kind of uh, acquisition and, and complexity issues around how do you get around that. Uh, 
but but uh, again, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, maximizing the utility of what we already have, I think, is a is a logical and smart first step. I'm hoping they're going there. Making sure that we re- reserve plans for future capacity needs, uh, you know, going forward as populations increase and movement of goods gets more significant, uh, you know, these these things have to be considered as part of our overall transportation network. So, uh, you know, we can't just rely on transit to solve all of our problems. Uh, roads aren't going to go away. Uh, trucking isn't going to go away. Uh, movement of goods isn't going to disappear. People are going to demand, uh, you know, goods throughout the country. A lot of them produced here. So if you're producing something here, you want to make sure you can get it to market. All of that's going to be uh, uh, issues that are that we're going to have to factor into our future development. Well, I remember when I had the previous uh, premium, Kathleen Moon was here in studio, and we had we brought this up because it was still on the books at that time, and she mm-hmm. mentioned about the Halton thing, and I said, I've got it solved. I, I, I told her, I said, the you already have someplace in on your books uh, the planned expansion of Highway 6 uh, mm-hmm. from the airport. That's supposed to be widened. Uh, and the 403 expansion. I said, if you do that, you don't need to build anything through Halton because you've got your hook up to the 400 series highways. Sure. Easy peasy. Uh, she lost a lot of action a couple of weeks after that. So, <laughs> But you might want to bring it up to the Transportation Minister. Okay, <laughs> Made in Hamilton Solutions. Well, well, we'll be talking about the 403. I mean, that's a log jam that, uh, that we, uh, we face every day, and it's pretty significant. Uh, as well as the Clappison's Corner issue, I mean that grade separation, uh, you know that that is probably one of the busi- busiest intersections in the in the province. Of, so, uh, you know, having having their help on those, uh, you know, preemptive issues as well as LRT, I think would be uh, would be a good day for us in Hamilton if we get all that. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Bears Town Hall, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger with us here in studio, and certainly a lot uh, going on. Uh, including taxes. Uh, one of the th- items on the agenda last night at City Council meeting uh, was, in fact, uh, finalizing uh, the uh, tax rolls for uh, this coming year. Uh, 2.5%. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, inflation's running at about 2%, uh, Bill. So, uh, you know, it's a, a little bit better inflation. And uh, we needed to uh, make some investments in, uh, in additional ambulances and paramedics. So we got, uh, you know, so t- I think 10 more, uh, 10, 10 more paramedics, 27 um, additional police officers, actually, which is uh, helping us on in terms of the frontline shortage. Uh, as the community has grown, I think the demand for uh, policing presence is uh, also we have to keep pace with. Now, so. uh, in, uh, you know, of course, as the mayor, you're <laughs> a member of the police services board, and you just raised an issue that doesn't get very much uh, attention. I know, I, I know, board members know this, mm-hmm. but I uh, had the pleasure of attending the uh, the retirement dinner for the police. Uh, I guess about two, three months ago now. Yep. Uh, up at Michelangelo's, uh, half the people in the room were p- retirees. I mean, there, there's a huge turnover in the police service. There is, and there's a lot of new, uh, new, uh, you know, young officers coming in, which is, uh, you know, a, a kind of a unique challenge as well. If you're the chief, uh, you know, you've got a, a lot of, lot of new, new uh, uh, officers, and you've got a lot of institutional knowledge walking out the door, and so uh, that's a, that's an interesting challenge. But we also were facing, uh, you know. Uh, PTSD uh, issues, uh, you know, lots of people that are on uh, work accommodation, all of them, uh, you know, legal, legal, uh, you know, uh, issues that they uh, they have to deal with on uh, kind of a mental health basis. So all of that's happening, and uh, at the same time, we need to maintain and uh, and, and enhance, uh, you know, frontline services. So we want to make sure that there's enough police out there uh, on the ground in all of our communities. And so it's going to be eight additional officers uh, per division. Uh, so, uh, you know, so more presence in Glanbrook, more presence in Flamborough, which I think is uh, positive and important. And, um, you know, we got uh, an, a detective for the const- detective constable for the uh, sexual assault issue. And you, you, you might remember that uh, we went through a pretty exhaustive, exhaustive exercise of going back to all the sexual assault cases and reviewing them to determine whether or not they were appropriately dealt with. And a lot of them uh, with uh, with Sasha, the uh, sexual assault center in Hamilton. And uh, we have a new regime in terms of how we deal with those issues, and I think that's very important. But we also have to identify some staff to be able to uh, work all of that through and maintain that consistency. So good work being done by the police. And, you know, additional help and assistance on the sexual assault side and a couple of... Uh, Provincial offense, Offenses uh, Assistant Court uh, Special Constables uh, to, to help us with uh, with those issues uh, because the uh, the volume is up there as well. The, uh, the paramedics is an interesting situation. Obviously, we've got a concern here about code zeros. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got staffing. Uh, when I've talked to Mary Pastorero from uh, the paramedics, he says that that's part of the equation. The other part, of course, is, is units. Uh, is, is council going to try to address that as well? In terms of vehicles? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, one, there's one additional ambulance and two, uh, two, 10 new paramedics. So we're, uh, we're adding to that. We have been over the years. In fact, over the last three or four years, uh, we've system- systematically been adding additional ambulances and additional, uh, 
paramedics. The demand is certainly out there for that that, that service. One of the barriers, and we continue to work on this, and this has, has more, I mean, it's a complex issue, but in terms of uh, getting getting patients admitted to the hospital, and this offloading issue is frustrating. Uh, the hospitals are also frustrated because they have no place to put them, so there's a bed and capacity issue, uh, you know, at the hospitals, and I'm uh, thankful that this government has made a promise to uh, to deal with that capacity issue so that we can uh, hopefully prevent these code, code reds that are happening out there all too often, code zero, I should say. And, uh, you know, to see, uh, you know, a lineup of uh, six or five or eight uh, ambulances packed up, uh, you know, at the, at the hospital gates uh, with, uh, you know, uh, people on gurneys with two, you know, paramedics standing next to them waiting for hours on end to get them admitted to hospital means that uh, for all the, uh, the ambulances we have on the road, they're all parked and not available uh, when emergencies hit. So that's, uh, in part, we're responding to that, but we're, we're looking to the provincial government and the, the hospital system to, to resolve the, uh, the offloading issue and get uh, more capacity into these hospitals so we can get them into the hospital, get them admitted, and then get those ambulances back out there ready to deal with uh, the next emergent issue. Uh, more about taxes in a couple of minutes. Uh, we want to go to some phone calls, though. 905-645-3221, star 9900. The Bill Kelly Show on CHML with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. And uh, to the phones we go. Hi, Tony. How are you doing this morning? Not too bad, Bill. How's yourself? Top of the world. Thanks for asking. Uh, go ahead for the mayor. Uh, mayor, as a retiree, mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to know, every time you jack your uh, percentage up mm-hmm. for your uh, house taxes and stuff like this, mm-hmm. As a person that's been sitting in my house for quite a number of years, right. my taxes have gone up in the last 10 years from 2000 to about $3,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do they expect me to get the extra money? Because I'm going backwards all the time. Every time I turn around, uh, the, the water rates are going up, mm-hmm. uh, the... Uh, uh, the city rates are going up. The school is going up. Everything is going up except my taxes, and, and I'm I'm going backwards. And there, there's a thing going on now that there's more retirees that are uh, uh, in debt now than than ever before because they're uh, they just can't make their bills. No, I, I, Tony, I appreciate that, and it's uh, it's been an ongoing problem. And uh, you know how how do we keep people in their homes? Uh, you know when they're on uh, you know you know fixed pensions, and uh, you know they're maybe not having the uh, you know the retirement income that they expected or anticipated or wasn't available to them. And so we have put programs in place, uh, Tony, to help with that issue for those that are struggling and still want to stay in their home that they can defer. Uh, their taxes until the, the, the property is sold. That's one measure. We also have some <clears throat> some rebates for seniors. Uh, I think the, uh, you know, and this is you know, not a massive amount of money, but there's a $75 uh, tax rebate that uh, that seniors can apply for if they're living in their own home. I mean, you have a number of things that, uh, that are, are uh, you know, geared to uh, being helpful. I would say, uh, you know, the other side of the coin is that we would certainly encourage and have encouraged the uh, federal government to bump up their, uh, their pension benefits to help and assist uh, seniors that are uh, wanting to stay in their homes longer. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we can encourage companies to get back to some sense of responsibility to provide uh, more fulsome benefits and pensions for their employees when they retire. I mean, all of those are factors in this issue. And so, you know, the city can't solve all of those other issues, but we can certainly try and be helpful on the uh, on the tax side to ensure that uh, people have an avenue to defer those taxes until they uh, need to leave that home or or sell that property then they can uh, they can cover that tax bill at that point in time when they out of the out of the proceeds of the sale of their home well the thing the thing that you're you're talking there is uh, uh, i've i've lost my cost of living mm-hmm. uh, i've looked after myself uh, over the years where i've uh, put some money away mm-hmm. now that i'm uh, over 71 and i have to start pulling off of my uh, my rift mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, tax man is just eating up that, uh, uh, the government is just eating up that uh, reserve that I have. I'm into a, a, a tax bracket that I can't benefit from anything of, of your so-called free or deferred uh, uh, taxes. Mm-hmm. And what really gets me at this point where you're saying, well, you can defer your uh, taxes, but we'll get you later. Uh, pay me now or pay me later. Uh, uh, it, it, there's no, uh, there's no uh, rhyme or reason that uh, I have to pay that. Now you've got Mana over there that hasn't paid their uh, their full share of taxes for five years, 
and they're paying just the interest, and they, they've beat this, this country out of about $9 million. Now, those are things that I'm saying that, okay, if you need that much money, how about, uh, like, you've, you've cut the taxes of the big business down to 10%, 11%, or something like this, but as me, I'm up in there, I'm up. 50% over the last 10 years. Well, I'll so, tell you what, so, Tony, so, I, I, I'm going to let you listen on the air because we've got to get some other calls in, but I right, want the mayor to address this. Uh, it, it, just on one comment, Tony's kind of conflating federal taxes with uh, municipal taxes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the basis of his concern, and it's a legitimate concern, and, and you know, we need to address that, uh, is the whole idea of, of, of property taxes anyway. It's, it's actually it's the most unfair tax of all because it's based on where you live. It has nothing to do with your income or your financial situation. Right. And, and it has everything to do with what it costs to, uh, to to run a city. So it's not like we're we're pulling money out of the system so that we can stock it away and uh, you know save it for a rainy day. Uh, these are these are dollars that we're going to need to fix the roads, the sewers, to build uh, build the rec centers and uh, the libraries and all the services that we provide on a day to day basis. And I can't uh, I can't stop inflation. I can't stop uh, cost of living increases. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, the increases that happen are actually uh, employer related increases and based on contracts that come in for doing the work that's happening. I can't stop any of that. So I want to. I need to make sure that we raise the sufficient amount of money to maintain our city and to help uh, continue to develop our city. And uh, you know, if we were to, to regress backwards and try to uh, to uh, you know reduce uh, the 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 dollar requirements that we need to continue to replace uh, you know a rec center and all those other things that we do, then uh, then uh, you know things are going to deteriorate and, and and dilapidate. And that's a that's a bill that we're then pushing to the next generation. So we need to keep pace with the tax dollars. I understand the challenges that many people face in our community to keep up with the smallest portion of the tax hit that you get, which is the property taxes. I would say, you know, over the long term, there's got to be a better formula for how we share provincial, federal, and municipal taxes. And that's an issue that's been on the table for many, many decades. Uh, Things are improving, so we have a more direct relationship with the federal government. Uh, We're getting more dollars directly from them to deal with some of the uh, issues that we're having to deal with, but it's a long way from being a predictable process that we can then start planning for uh, a lot more accurately. There is, uh, having gone through the process myself a few times, uh, as, as you have, uh, one, I, I got it's positive aspect about this because, in, in as much as property taxes is, is maybe the most unfair way of taxation, uh, it's probably the most legitimate because federal and provincial governments um, do their budgets every year, well, their proposed budgets, and then they just take money off your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they decide how they're going to spend it later on. Well, we're not really going to do that. The city works just the reverse, doesn't it? They do the list. Here's what we're going to do this year. Here's the here's, this is here's the bill. Right now, let's divide it up. Exactly. And uh, you know, we're only we're only capturing what we need. Uh, we're not we're not uh, you know pulling out dollars and then making political decisions about where do we spend it. Uh, you know, in some other place. Uh, so 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 this cap and hand approach that we're having to deal with on our federal provincial side. Uh, for dollars that uh, that they're generating, but not necessarily sharing with municipalities, uh, that uh, we does doesn't allow us to do a you know a more balanced, predictable capital planning program. So they're requiring us to do asset management plans, which is wonderful. I think it's a smart thing to do, but we don't have the resources to actually exercise that asset management plan because we can't plan 10 years out. We only know what we're getting year to year. And so we're looking for a different formula, a more predictable formula. And you know what? The uh, the amount of money that goes to the federal and provincial governments, it's the, uh, it's the uh, 50, 50, 40, 10 you know, a philosophy here, 10% comes to the municipality, 40% goes to the province, 50% of your tax bill overall goes to the federal government. So the lowest taxes that you pay are actually the municipal taxes, but they're the most visible. They're documented, they're recorded, we can give you a pie chart and tell you exactly where the money's going. You can't get that from the federal and provincial governments. Uh, just, I, I know that doesn't really assuage your concerns of, about that, but it is the system that it is. And uh, the one final point I know that, uh, that he wanted, uh, Tony wanted you to touch on, mm-hmm. uh, is, is the, the fact that there are increases, 2.5% this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, people still, I, I know, will call their counselors after this is announced, and they'll call your office too and say, why can't we have tax reductions? Why can't, the, 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 why, why not the good old days when, you know, we'd say, hey, there's a 2% decrease in your taxes this year? 
Well, you know what? I mean, I, I don't you know, know if anybody in Ontario is doing that, but they I, used to. I, I don't know how it's possible, quite frankly. Uh, you know, given given the uh, you know contract negotiations that we have to deal with, uh, you know, we 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 get two or two or three percent increases every year in terms of wages. Uh, that's happening. Which, not you, only which, by the way, is the biggest driver in the budget. Biggest driver in the budget. You know, if, if you take into consideration the police services budget, ten percent is operational issues. Uh, 80, 85 to ninety percent or is all person power, paying salaries and wages. You know, policing is all about uh, you know person power out on the street. Uh, the vehicles and the uh, the building, buildings and facilities is ten percent of the overall bill. Uh, there's inflation in terms of you know RFP, RFPs and uh, tendering processes. Uh, so the you know people that are tendering on these projects are also paying their their people uh, you know additional wages, and so they factor that into a tender when they uh, bid on projects that are happening in the city. And those increases are actually going in in some instances significantly higher than the cost of living based on uh, you know the the supply of steel or the supply of uh, you know raw materials that are going up significantly. So. You know, I, I can't stop inflation. I, I wish I could. I, I wish we could just zero everything out and everybody stay where they are. And that the, the cost of products or the cost of living doesn't go up. And that the cost of uh, labor doesn't continue to rise. But all of them do. And we have, to, uh, we have to factor that into our budgeting process. If we don't, then we're going backwards. There were times, and I, I can recall this, uh, I guess when I was just getting into home ownership myself, when there were tax decreases back, I guess in the 70s and 80s, uh, but as I found out once I got into council, and I'm sure you have in your experience too, uh, the easiest way to do that is just don't do work. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why we have an infrastructure deficit, because a lot of the work that should have been done, maintenance work on roads, sewers, et cetera, was not done. They just said, no, we're not going to raise taxes, so we're not going to do those projects. Well, to use Tony's phrase, you can pay now or you can pay later. Uh, we're, we're still paying for that, 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 that kind of an attitude. So, <clears throat> and we're also paying actual costs today. So what used to happen was, you know, if, if it was the water bill, then you have a little water utility group. It was largely political. And they made an arbitrary decision on what the, what the rate was going to be. It had nothing to do with what the cost of delivering the service uh, was. Uh, we had the same scenario happening in the hydro utility where you had a hydro board that was largely political. And they, uh, they made a favorable rate to decision as opposed to what do we need to have to make sure that we maintain the utility and all the, all the, uh, the uh, infrastructure that goes with it. Today, we are much more focused on raising the dollars needed to not only uh, maintain it for today, but maintain it for the future. And so if we forget all of that, then uh, quite clearly, we're pushing the bill on to the next generation. So we could make a political decision today to say, let's make the water rate half of what it is today. But that doesn't mean that the cost and the bill goes away. You just increase the debt, and that debt then gets passed on to the next generation, and they're going to have to deal with, you know, the uh, the utility costs, the upgrades of the wires, or the upgrades of all the services that are out there. So I'm I'm on for maintaining and being sustainable, and that means manage your current costs and and prepare for future costs going forward as well. Uh, I got about a minute or so left. I want you to uh, briefly, if you could, talk about uh, the uh, the climate change emergency that was done. It was brought up by Councillor Nan last night. Yep. Uh, all of a sudden, climate change is back on the front burner, both uh, federally, provincially, and municipally. Yeah, I mean, it was a uh, it was a motion that I put forward actually to uh, to consolidate uh, all the work that we're doing as a municipality, and there's been a lot. So you know, there's a pretty you know spirited defense last night from uh, from members of council to say, well, you know, we've done so much, we've done so much, and we have. Uh, but there's more to do, and I think it's it comes from you know this note not a notion. I think the. Uh the international, uh, you know, agency that declared that, uh, you know, we've got about 12 years to try and stop this ongoing increase in overall climate change that's in fa- impacting uh, water and fire, uh, fires that are happening around the world, uh, you know, significant flooding, uh, up and down temperatures in our winters. We're already seeing those impacts. So all of that is uh, is our issues that we're going to have to deal with. And uh, the whole point of the exercise was let's do more. Let's figure out how we uh, change our built form. Can we get to net zero buildings like the Mohawk building up on the mountain? Uh, where do we generate power? Should we be using more solar solar energy on a on a property by property basis, which is actually already starting to happen? So, uh, how do we accelerate that? And what kind of policies do we need to to put in place to uh, to uh, encourage that to happen? It will improve not only our bottom line, uh, like all our LED lights that we uh, we actually invested in uh, throughout the city. It actually saves us, uh, you know, six to seven 
$700,000 annually in terms of operating costs. So not only do we uh, do uh, reduce uh, greenhouse gases, but we reduce our overall operating costs, and we still provide the services that people require out there. So how do we how do we do that in all of our areas and make sure that we uh, leave a uh, an environment that the next generation can say uh, they did what they needed to do to make sure that we didn't uh, expire as a species in the uh, in the on on the planet uh, you know, over the long term. But we're out of time right now. Th- thanks so much, Mr. Mayor. Great. Thank you. Appreciate always, you coming in always. today. Yep. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There's a. A new group uh, in town uh, that's going to try to do some pretty positive things for the community. Uh, In in other words, trying to leverage uh, collective expertise and support and advocate on behalf of uh, climate change action here in this community. Uh, They selected their new chair just the other day, and he is a name that we know in this community, Richard Corusill. Uh, Richard, of course, is a former uh, president and CEO of Hamilton International Airport. He was interim president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Uh, He's currently CEO at uh, Corlon Strategic Services. Sits on the board of directors for Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, from McMaster Institute of Transportation and Logistics, and uh, found some time out of all that busy schedule to join us here on the program, here on the Bill Kelly Show. We welcome Richard Corusil back to CHML. Richard, thanks for the time, and uh, first of all, congratulations on the uh, the new appointment. Well, thanks, Bill, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to chat. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, you've been involved in this community for the longest time, so uh, we have challenges here. Uh, I was mentioning to Mayor Eisenberger when he was on the program just a little while ago here that uh, I, I don't want to say climate change was never on the front burner, but it's always something we've been concerned about. But it just seems as if all of a sudden people are starting to take more interest in it. I guess eventually the messaging that's been going on for the last little while is starting to resonate. Yeah, I think it is. And uh, even for me, it's it's uh, become front and center as an issue that I think is very important for our community, uh, both here in Burlington and, and Hamilton. And it's an opportunity to actually uh, step up and um, help make some things happen. So what's what's the agenda? What do you what do you want to see happen here? Well, I mean, it's uh, first off, is that it's a collaborative um, that it, that's between Hamilton and Burlington consists of 14 community leaders that represent um, um, many different agencies, some environmental, but also people like the Chambers of Commerce, Mm -hmm. uh, who all have an interest in um, finding ways for us to reduce our GHG emissions and and make sure that uh, we have a sustainable future in front of us. So uh, we're going to be uh, focusing on developing our our own strategy in terms of the direction we'll go. Uh, There'll be a lot of work on mitigation and and adaptation, helping um, businesses, particularly in, in Hamilton and Burlington, especially the s- small and medium-sized enterprises, but as well as citizens in terms of ways that they can do things uh, to reduce their GHG emissions um, and, and help um, you know all of us meet our, our targets. Interestingly uh, enough, and this is just another example of the collaboration between the two cities, between Hamilton and Burlington and here in the Bay Area, uh, but uh, I guess one of the first things that you can, I guess, be thankful for here, Richard, is you don't have to sell this to the two councils. I know that you've been watching the political scene here pretty closely, and, and both Burlington Council and Hamilton Council uh, seem firmly behind this whole concept. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, um, a lot of this started back at the um, Bay Area Economic Summit when both mayors uh, committed to uh, to doing work in this area. So, you know, we have that strong commitment, and and uh, and they are strong partners of ours. In fact, they'll support um, the ongoing uh, operation of the of the uh, council. Um, but we're going to engage the broader community, and this is, I think, the, the the whole idea of the collaborative is really about how do we engage the broader community in doing some of this work. Um, and there are lots of folks out there we know that uh, would love to participate in some way. So we'll be setting up um, as we start to develop our strategy and direction we want to go, we'll be setting up uh, tasks or work groups that will focus on specific areas. Our thinking is we'll, we'll, we'll start looking at things like uh, energy retrofits for homes and businesses, transportation strategies to reduce GHG emissions, and even uh, low-carbon supply, um, uh, supply chain solutions to encourage local food security. So we think there's some key areas we're, go- we're going to jump into and um, see if we can move the dial a bit on um, reducing GHG emissions. And we'll, we're going to be pretty hard on ourselves, I think, in terms of setting targets and trying to deliver on some things. Uh, of course, we're going to need help along the way from uh, not only municipality, but, but from the province and the, and the federal government. And we know 
um, that there's certainly opportunity for them to join in and help us. Well, I, I don't want to drag you too deeply into the political arena here, Richard. Uh, I, I wouldn't do that to you. But uh, the the reality here is that the, the this current provincial government, of course, has essentially eliminated a number of the incentives for average individuals and homeowners uh, with uh, with some of these rebate programs and things of that nature. That, that's got to be a bit of a step back for, for everybody involved in, and dedicated to this program. Yeah, no, I, I look at... Um, I've never been shy about taking on some things that may be difficult, um, but I think there's opportunity in other areas where it may not be necessarily funding, but it could be policy issues. It could even be um, just just general support. Um, but we know uh, certainly from from a federal point of view, there is uh, support there and there's resources there to actually do some things uh, to help us. Because it's it's a matter of bringing uh, I don't bad metaphor, but bringing the horse to the water. I mean, you know, if there, if there's a carrotness there, people are going to gravitate to that and say, well, you know what, I wasn't going to change my windows, but if there's I'm going to get some help on this, maybe it's not a bad idea. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. one example, but I mean, th- th- there there could be more of that that has to come with more dialogue though between the senior levels of government. I would think. Yeah, you know, and and I think there's a story to be told told in terms of. You know how we how we drive our economy. Um, the reduction of GHG uh, um, emissions can actually be a strong business case, um, certainly for businesses, um, and also in creating new industries and businesses through some innovation that could end up driving um, a, a sort of new economic platform for for the province and certainly for Canada and for, and for Hamilton and Burlington. This is the first collaboration of its kind in Ontario. So. Um, we know that there are other uh, organizations keeping a close eye on what we're doing because if we can make um, some substantial progress, then I think you'll see this uh, being duplicated in other other communities. I'm glad you brought the business aspect into this, and, and obviously you can rely on your, your chime with the chambers, uh, both yeah. the Hamilton Chamber and, of course, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, because there are the, there, there are deniers of, of this whole movement, and uh, there are climate change deniers. Sadly, one of them is in the White House, but. Uh, the, the the concern here, and one of the points they usually raise to try to justify their their point of view, is look at it's going to kill business. If you do this thing, it's going to drive people away. It's going to lose jobs. Uh, you, as a member of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, and because you and I had these discussions, uh, have always been a strong advocate. They know it actually enhances business. It doesn't have to be business or the environment. It should be both. Yeah, that's right. And and there are lots of good examples uh, internationally where you know communities have become. Uh, focused on GHG reductions and and in fact have from an economic point of view have actually strengthened their economies. So we know that that can happen. And you know I come from a business background, so for me it's all about balance. It's finding the right balance where you can drive drive the economy, but also um, you know do the things you need to do in terms of reducing GHG emissions. So I know that that it can be done. We, we are examples out there. So that I think it's actually an oppor- a great opportunity for us in terms of our certainly for our business community. Well, and you saw that. I mean, when you were working up at the airport as the CEO for Hamilton International Airport, uh, you'd think that that would be counterproductive, uh, you know, to, well, environmental concerns. But I know that that was very much a mind, uh, of mind with you and the board when you were making decisions about what was going to happen at the airport. Sure. And, I mean, it, it's again, I go back to it's always about balance for me. And, and um, you know, even things like when you start talking about economic development and when we were working on the, the Airport Employment Growth District, well, we, we actually talked about building an eco-industrial park. And, and so that's the focus. It's how do we do this in a way that creates great jobs for the community, but all, is also so, socially responsible in terms of our work and in terms of climate change. So there's lots of opportunity for us to do some really good things here. You, uh, of course, are working for the Transportation and Logistics Committee for the McMaster Institute. Uh, you've had dealings, of course, and, and think tanks to do with, uh, with transportation here. Uh, and again, we had the discussion earlier about uh, the, well, the federal government now just wrote a study about the Mid-Pen Highway. Uh, there are some people who just think, well, you can't talk about the environment and talk about uh, road transportation. Uh, it's got to all be clean energy. How do, you, how do you juxtapose those two things, and how do you try to bring the, the, those two sides together on, on, the, on these sorts of initiatives? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, again, it's about balance. And, and so we need a strong economy. I mean, if we, we stop doing things because it's, it's um, uh, an issue for the environment and we put thousands of people out of work, how does that really help us at the end of the day? It's really about how do we find the best way to do this and, and um, make sure that we're, we're being conscious of uh, finding that balance from, from, a, from an environmental point of view. And, I, and I'm convinced, look, we're all smart people. We can figure this out. And I think there's an opportunity to do that, find ways to make these things work. 
uh, the interesting thing about this, I just read the uh, the pricey here, the overview of what the, the, the committee is going to be doing over the next little while, Richard. Uh, there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, where environmentally conscious groups such as as this one, uh, the Bay Area Climate Change Council, uh, used to work separate and apart from, from for instance, uh, the, the economic development departments. I, I'm, I'm getting a sense from your discussion here today, and even what I've talked about with uh, the mayor, both mayors, in fact, over the, the last couple of months, that there's there's much more collaboration and, and much more uh, of a, a I guess bl- blurred line there. There is no line there anymore. Really, it's one helping the other, one hand in hand. That's right. And 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 and, it, and again, it's why can't that happen? Of course it can. I mean, we have good examples again internationally where that's already happening. So I think there is an opportunity uh, for us to to look at um, you know the whole GHG emission reduction as a as a business opportunity for our community at the same time. While doing some good work in terms of, uh, of helping our environment. You mentioned there's going to have to be some discussion with federal and provincial governments about this. Uh, you, you can't do this all by yourself. Uh, talk to me about this, the, the strength of collaboration between the two cities working together on this initiative. Well, I, I think that that plays really well um, when you start talking to both the province and the federal government is that this isn't just one community. It's the whole Bay Area region. And so um, governments, senior levels of government, I always like it when there's more than one player involved. So I think that's a benefit. And then you've got two communities speaking the same language uh, to, to the provincial and federal government at the same time. So I think that helps, uh, particularly uh, when we have not only the two uh, mayors and, and council supporting us, but when you've got all those 14 different agencies that are out there that represent a cross-section of the community with a common voice, that's very powerful. We are we're uniquely qualified here, obviously from a ge- geographical standpoint, to, uh, to I, I think to head this collaboration, uh, not just because of the economic development that's occurring in, in this Hamilton-Burlington area around the Bay Area right now, but from an environmental standpoint, too. I mean, we can check off a lot of boxes of, uh, of ecosystems, uh, you know, the, obviously yeah. our shared responsibility with the Bay, uh, Randall Reef, uh, we've collaborated on that. There's a, there's, there's a body of work that you can re- point to already to say, look, at this is starting to happen. Yeah, no, it, it, that's absolutely correct. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I got to give uh, Keenan some uh, credit here in terms of the whole Bay Area Economic Summit, the idea of bringing um, the two communities together a few years ago. And so they're continuing to build on that. In fact, we're now the next uh, summit's actually in Toronto. So we, we last year we, we invited some folks from KW and from Toronto to participate. So really is thinking about more than just just Hamilton because we're all we're all integrated and we all – I mean, many people in Hamilton work in Burlington, vice versa, and same with Toronto and uh, Kitchener-Waterloo. So um, I think it's good for Hamilton to think about, you know, its role in the broader broader economy and the broader geographic area. Richard, what about uh, corporate support here? I mean, we've, we've talked about the, the federal and provincial governments, uh, if not getting on board, at least being supportive of this and, and, and you know, listening to some of the initiatives and ideas. Uh, are you getting a buy-in from from the corporate side of things? Well, and that's where we go back to the chamber. The chamber is a member of the of the council, and um, and they'll represent the business community, and they'll be our access into the corporate side um, and within the two communities for sure. So obviously, yeah, we, haven't, we haven't got there yet. I mean, you have to remember we're just starting. This is my sort of first month in the in the in the role, um, but as we move forward, that that will be certainly an element of what we're trying to tap, tap, tap into. Um, you know, we see a, a big opportunity for this, particularly the small and medium-sized enterprise. The, you know, a lot of the bigger players, they're pretty active already in terms of uh, w- the work they're doing in terms of GHG emissions. And, and they have a direct link right into the federal government, um, where a lot of the small and medium-sized enterprises don't. So we, I think there's an opportunity for us to support them and, and uh, help them get on board in terms of uh, what the things that they can do that actually save them money, improve their performance, at the same time as reducing uh, GHG emissions. But that's got to be, I would think, one of your biggest challenges is those small to medium businesses. Because yeah. the first thing many of them are going to say is, look, at this great idea, Richard, but we can't afford to do that. That's uh, right. So so, the, so our plan is to find ways that we can actually help them do that. And we know that the federal government, um, the minister was just here about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. We had a conversation with her, and she is, she that's her focus. She says, uh, you know, I really want to look for outcomes for our SMEs. So we know that she has interest in doing that. She says we we're here to support you do to help you do that. So we'll be going back to them. With, we haven't got the specifics yet, but we'll be going back to 
to her to, and her ministry to say, okay, here are the key areas that we think you can help us in to look for support to help us do that. We've talked about the business aspect clearly, and, and obviously the environmental aspect, which is uh, right in the title, of course, with Bay Area Climate Change Council. Uh, one of your board members, though, is a representative from Hamilton Health Sciences. There's, there's a health aspect to this as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Victoria's going to help us with that. Um, you know, it, it's really it's, it's, it's really about everybody starting to think about how do I take this as part of my, whatever I do, how am I thinking about this in terms of my contribution? Uh, to reduce GHG emissions, and 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 you know, Hamilton Health Science is the largest employer in the community, and and they have an opportunity to influence an awful lot of people, <clears throat> and the work that they're doing. So, um, I know Victoria's going to help us kind of. Um, do some of that work with uh, HHS. Well, it's all part of the greater scheme here, of course, of healthy communities, uh, our vibrant communities. And, uh, you know, if you're healthy, it it bleeds one into the other, doesn't it? Uh, Into the economy and just about every other aspect of it. Yeah, I know. If I I was to look out 10 years and, and, you know, say, what would be really great for this community is that every person is thinking about their role and the things that they could be doing to reduce GHG emissions. Um, And we become... A leader in the community and within Canada, in terms of a community or group of communities that have really made a significant uh, difference in terms of our uh, GHG emissions. Are you anticipating there's going to be a little bit of a pushback here from some people in the community? I mean, because I, I, yeah, I, I look at some of the initiatives, and, and even way back when I was on city council, Richard, I mean, when we started even the blue box and the recycling programs, uh, we still dozens of calls every week saying, look, we just this is too much work. I'm not going to bother to do this. Yeah, uh, but generationally, the things seem to change. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's, you, you, you commented on this earlier, is that, that, that it's becoming a more, uh, more frequent conversation with people. Um, and there are fewer and fewer people that are, that are just saying no. Um, and there are more and more people saying, yeah, maybe there's something I should be doing. And so I think the timing is good for us to be able to get out there and start doing some of this work. Well, and in little things, I mean, you know, the, the big guys are going to do the big things, you know, the Arcelor Alta Fascos and, and places like that. But uh, the one I just referenced, I mean, just, you know, recycling, you know, and, and, and separating goods and things of this nature. Uh, you may think that that's not a big deal, but it, in the grand scheme of things, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and a lot of times it is that, that one thing that each of us does that can make a difference. And when you start adding it up over, over two communities, uh, it can make a big, much bigger difference. And so, you know, those are some of the things we'll be looking at. Now, I, you know, at the same time, i got to be careful I don't build too big, <laughs> big of an expectation here. This is, this is going to be tough work. It's going to take some time. Um, but our goal is to actually start driving some of those results so over time we actually see some change. Well, and uh, one of the bigger challenges, obviously, is working with those uh, federal and provincial governments because the, when, when the austerity measures start kicking in, yeah. uh, it makes it a whole lot more difficult, as you well know, yeah. uh, to try to get their attention and their financial support for this, too. So, Richard, I wish you good luck with this. It's a, a, an all-star cast you've got here uh, sitting on the committee. I'm just looking at some of the other board members here. Uh, but you've got your work cut out for you. But I think you guys are going to be up to the challenge. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thanks for having us, giving us an opportunity to, to tell our story. I know we'll talk again a lot in the future. Thanks again, Richard. Take care, Bill. Bye-bye. Richard Corso, the new chair of the Bay Area Climate Change Council. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.